Hello everyone, and welcome to the September 23rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal approved the dismissal of an injured worker's suit against his employer based upon the power press exception to the exclusivity rule. Here's what happened in the case of Hernandez versus Thermal Structures. Heriberto Hernandez was an employee of Thermal Structures Incorporated. As part of his job, he used a power press to shape sheet metal. The press was not supposed to operate unless two buttons were pushed simultaneously. The buttons were on a pedestal separate from the main body of the press, though connected to it by a cable. Hernandez suffered a gruesome on-the-job injury when his hands were crushed in the power press. Workers' compensation is exclusive remedy against an employer, with some exceptions. One exception is known as a power press exception. This exception requires Hernandez to prove that the accident occurred because Thermal either removed or failed to install a point of operation guard on the power press. The trial court granted the employer's summary judgment ruling that there was no triable issue of fact that would cause this exception to the exclusive remedy to apply. Hernandez appealed and the Court of Appeal sustained the dismissal in the unpublished case of Hernandez versus Thermal Structures Incorporated. When the accident occurred, the press did have a point of operation guard, two buttons mounted on a pedestal. The press was not supposed to operate unless both buttons were pressed simultaneously. Hernandez's theory was that Thermal removed the guard by adding wheels to the pedestal, which allowed the pedestal to move so close to the main body of the press that he could push the buttons with his elbows while his hands were still dangerously close to the press. The problem with this theory was that, in discovery, Hernandez admitted that Thermal did not remove a point of operation guard and that the buttons were not being pushed when the accident occurred. Hernandez argued that the questions he was asked on this topic and hence his responses were ambiguous. The Court of Appeal reviewed his question and answer and disagreed. Accordingly, the trial court properly granted summary judgment in favor of the employer. And in regulatory news, Cal OSHA cited Covina-based Los Angeles engineering following a trench collapse in March which killed one employee and severely injured another. The two workers were checking the depth of the trench on Temesco Canyon Road just north of Pacific Coast Highway. Emergency workers recovered the body of 50-year-old Gilbert Vargas after nine hours of digging. The workers had been excavating with backhoes on a city storm water project. The Temesco Canyon project was part of a $50 million city program to clean up Santa Monica Bay. Cal OSHA issued four citations to Los Angeles Engineering, one general, two serious and willful serious violations, totaling about $100,000. Violations included failure to properly protect the trench from caving in, not inspecting the trench after a cave-in that occurred earlier in the day, lack of employee training on heat illness prevention, and lack of an effective injury and illness prevention plan. A willful violation is cited when an employer is aware that a hazardous condition exists but makes no reasonable effort to eliminate it. 
A serious workplace safety violation is cited when there is a realistic possibility that death or serious physical harm could result from the actual hazard created by the violation. A general violation is one in which an accident or illness may result, but would probably not cause death or serious harm. Construction is a dangerous business. Of the 4,609 workers' deaths nationally in 2011, 721, or nearly one in six, happened during construction. By way of comparison, 125 law enforcement officers that year died in the performance of their duties. And now, our fraud report. Allstate Insurance Company won a civil judgment of more than $7 million following a RICO investigation nearly 10 years in the making. The RICO complaint was filed in federal court against Nevada chiropractor Optin Nasiri and his business, Advanced Accident Chiropractic Care on Management, Digital Im Imaging Services, and Digital X-Ray. Since the suit was filed, the Chiropractic Physicians Board of Nevada revoked Nasiri's license. Allstate's lawsuit alleged Nasiri defrauded them by exaggerating clinical findings, submitting improbable diagnoses, charging for treatment he did not provide, providing unnecessary and excessive treatment, grossly misrepresenting billing, making inappropriate referrals, and exhibiting a general pattern of illegal and fraudulent conduct. Last June, Allstate obtained a jury verdict and the final judgment and award was made this month. The total judgment was over $3.5 million in compensatory damages, $2.5 million in punitive damages, and $1 million in prejudgment interest. The company is also pursuing more than a million dollars in attorney fees and costs over the last decade. Allstate has filed a series of civil fraud-related cases against alleged perpetrators in various states across the nation. Allstate recently filed a $5.6 million lawsuit in August in New Jersey. It alleges that 63-year-old Shams versus Shams M. Qureshi, MD, made payments to individuals who acted as middlemen by brokering auto accidents patients from New Jersey and New York clinics to Qureshi's Surgery Center. In early 2013, Allstate filed against three New York area medical providers who allegedly engaged in a fraudulent medical billing scheme seeking $1.7 million. Since 2003, the insurer has filed a total of 46 fraud lawsuits in the state of New York State seeking more than $233 million in damages. Last year, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge has ordered chiropractor Daniel H. Dehan and his business Progressive Diagnostic Imaging to pay Allstate $7 million in a Tom whistleblower lawsuit. Dehan is a president of Practice Perfect Management and Consulting Services of Long Beach. The company specializes in helping chiropractors set up clinics that combine chiropractic medical and physical therapy services. Allstate's lawsuit alleged that Dehan purchased report writing software that purported to analyze x-rays and form medical opinions, diagnoses, including opinions concerning permanent impairment ratings, and thereafter 
performed progressive diagnostic imaging to solicit x-rays from chiropractors with the assurance that board-certified radiologists would analyze the films. A 70-year-old Auburn man pleaded guilty in a Sacramento federal court to making false statements to obtain federal workers' compensation benefits. Bruce Lee Searlock has been receiving workers' compensation benefits under the Federal Employees' Compensation Act for an injury that he suffered as a civilian employee for the U.S. Navy in 1987. Since the injury, Bruce Lee periodically affirmed under penalty of perjury that he was neither self-employed nor involved in any business enterprise. At the same time, Bruce Lee, Searlock, was involved in operating Fuse, a bar in San Francisco. He hired and fired employees, made decisions on capital expenditures, and dealt with private citizens and public officials as the owner of Fuse. Bruce Lee was also president and secretary of a privately held corporation, Alley Corp Incorporated, the sole purpose of which was to own the Fuse nightclub. Bruce Lee will be sentenced in December. The case resulted from an investigation by the Department of Defense, Defense Criminal Investigation Service, the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, and the U.S. Department of Labor. 48-year-old Douglas Lambert of West Hills, an owner of Lambert Air Conditioning, was convicted of committing workers' compensation insurance fraud for failing to properly report employee payroll to his insurance carrier. Lambert was ordered to pay more than $110,000 in restitution to Clarendon National Insurance and the state of California. Lambert licensed air conditioning contractor operating in Tulare County did not report any employee payroll to Clarendon National Insurance Company. Yet, the business reported nearly $9,000 in wages to the Employment Development Department during the same period of time. Further investigation revealed Lambert reported an employee injury to Clarendon National as a workers' compensation claim, although he was reporting no employee wages to them. Douglas Lambert pled guilty to one count of insurance fraud. 28-year-old Carrie Atwood of Santa Paula was sentenced to 36 months probation, 150 days in county jail, and restitution in the amount of about $18,000. Her husband, 37-year-old Michael Atwood, also of Santa Paula, was sentenced to 36 months probation and 60 days in county jail. Carrie Atwood previously entered guilty pleas to four counts of workers' compensation insurance fraud. Michael Atwood previously entered a guilty plea to one count of conspiracy to commit workers' compensation fraud. Carrie Atwood, a civilian employee of the Ventura County Sheriff's Office, reported to her supervisors that she sustained an injury to her left ankle. Over the next several months, Atwood remained on TTD and received over $29,000 in disability pay. She used crutches or a wheelchair to get to her medical appointments. After her medical appointments, she was seen walking freely without the aid of crutches or a wheelchair. She was also observed engaging in a number of physical activities that she told her treating physicians that she could not perform. 
Michael Atwood drove Carrie Atwood to her doctor's visits and failed to disclose her true physical condition. At the time of the sentencing, Carrie Atwood paid restitution to the county of Ventura. And in medical news, Michelin restaurant Staphylococcus aureus or MRSA infections are often picked up while patients are in the hospital being treated for something else. When they're being treated for an industrial injury, the infection can become a compensable consequence claim. Symptoms of a staph infection include small red bumps on the skin, which can turn into more severe sores. When a bacteria spread past the skin, they may cause life-threatening infections in bones, organs, and the bloodstream. Hospitals and other healthcare providers have been making a big push to cut down on transmission of MRSA inside their facilities. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention is engaged in several MRSA infection tracking projects. And in 2010, there were some encouraging results. The CDC study showed that MRSA infections in healthcare settings are declining. Invasive MRSA infections that began in hospitals declined 28% from 2005 through 2008. Decreases in infection rates were even bigger for patients with bloodstream infections. And a study showed a 17% drop in infections that were diagnosed before hospital admissions. The study complements data from the National Healthcare Safety Network that found rates of MRSA bloodstream infections fell nearly 50% from 1997 to 2007. While the new study cannot explain why infection rates are dropping, it's likely attributable in part to hospital efforts to reduce the spread of infections. It's also possible that there has been evolution of these strains and that they're less invasive. According to a new study published in the journal Radiology Scans of People's Knees are less likely to reveal a problem when the referring doctor has a financial stake in the imaging center or the equipment used. These findings suggest that some tests may be unnecessary. In medical circles, when doctors send patients to get images or scans taken at centers, they partially own the practices known as self-referral. Researchers reviewed 700 MRIs of knees at a single imaging facility and ordered by two groups of doctors practicing in the same geographic area. One set of doctors had a financial stake in the imaging facility and the other did not. When doctors have a financial interest in the imaging facility, their patients are 33% more likely to get a test result that shows nothing wrong. But Dr. David Levin, professor and chairman emeritus of the Department of Radiology at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia said, he is not surprised by the results. He said that every study that's ever been done shows self-referring physicians are going to do more imaging than physicians who refer patients to hospitals or imaging centers. An MRI of the knee can cost between $700 and $1,000. And in financial news, the WCARB authorized a January 1st higher advisory pure premium rate. The proposed pure premium rates for the 494 standard classifications averaged $2.70 per $100 of payroll. This is 17 cents or 6.9% greater than the July 1st, 2013 advisory rates. 
the proposed rates reflect deterioration in the projected cost of losses and lost adjustment expenses of approximately 59%. Almost one-third of the increase in the advisory rates is attributable to the increases in permanent disability benefits triggered by SB 863. Also, there has a decade, there's been a decades-long decrease in indemnity claim frequency, which has averaged approximately 3% to 4% per year. The decrease was attributable to multiple factors, including long-term shifts from heavy manufacturing to a more service-based economy, increased mechanization within industries, and increased employer-sponsored safety efforts. However, in 2010, there was a sharp increase in claim frequency that was partially attributable to a spike in cumulative injury claims in the immediate post-recession environment. Rather than returning to the long-term pattern of decline, indemnity claim frequency in 2011 and 2012 remained high and early indicators for 2013 suggest a further indemnity claim frequency increase. An increase in cumulative injury claims has been a driver in the recent high level of indemnity claim frequency. WCARB research has indicated that changes in the proportion of indemnity claims involving cumulative injuries is a strong predictor of changes in the number of non-cumulative injury indemnity claims. The pure premium rates approved by the California Insurance Commissioner are only advisory. Insurers may and often do file and use rates other than those approved by the insurance commissioner. And the reaction from an employer's group to a suggested hike in California's advisory workers' compensation rates was surprisingly, cautiously optimistic. The Workers' Compensation Action Network, or WCAN, is a group that represents the interests of employers. Group officials expressed hope that reforms ushered in last year will take hold and keep rates from continuing to head upward. Jerry Acevedo, a WCAN spokesman, said that it's too early to tell whether the 2012 reforms will help blunt or reverse the trend. The system is in the process of absorbing substantial benefit increases under SB 863. Regulators are only partially through their efforts to implement a variety of process changes intended to make the system work more efficiently. These changes, however, were really intended to offset the benefit increase rather than cut costs. What the group finds most distressing has been a 35% increase in premiums since 2009. Both the cost and frequency of claims now seem to be trending up again in 2013 after a few flat years. Acevedo said that the margin of error in getting the SB 863 reforms right is very small and we still won't know their impact for months or even years. The group is worried about litigation and other attacks that could undermine what the legislature was attempting to achieve. Thus, he concludes, that the members are cautiously optimistic. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts 
and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the Work Comp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today and drop by again next week for more news.